Today is May the 19th in 2023. Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Always happy to welcome all of you who are watching or listening to our our podcast. We have a video that goes up on YouTube, and we have, of course, the audio version. Most people uh, listen to our podcast. We do have a few people who actually can stand to watch my face for a half an hour. Not too many people can do that. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a retiree, and I am a volunteer with Chapter 49 doing communication work, mostly this podcast. So we're always happy to have you, and we're very pleased that you have chosen to spend some time with us today and spending time with all of you today, Duncan Giles, Chapter President for Chapter 49. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. And uh, my best side on uh, to be viewed is at the bottom of a coal mine at midnight on a very dark and stormy night. <laughs> so you're saying we're going to start doing the podcast differently now? <laughs> for those for those people who want to watch it and view it, uh, God bless you. <laughs> well, now, you know, we, we did it audio only, sound only for a long time. We added the video just to see if people were interested. And we do have a small but uh, dedicated group that seemed to, to enjoy watching the video. But I think most people who consume a podcast are doing something else. They're in a car, maybe they're working, or they're working at home, or doing the dishes, or mowing a lawn. So uh, that's how I was used to consume podcasts, and still do to some extent. So I think that that's where a lot of people do it. And if you want to watch the video, we just have it there uh, for you if you wish to to consume it that way. Well, uh, we're getting into some some nice uh, late spring, early summer weather in central Indiana. Feels great. Getting outside is always a lot of fun this time of year. So we hope wherever you live, you're having the same experience this time of year. Let's get into our issues this week. And uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling, uh, in-person training, attrition rates for new hires. Boy, there are some eye-popping numbers there. Uh, how you can use the NTEU app on your phone, uh, communications where we think there could be some improvements everywhere in the service, and all about that pilot program where uh, people filing their taxes can file directly electronically with the IRS, which has never been available before. You've always had to go through a third party. So we're going to talk about all that. Let's start off with the debt ceiling. We keep talking about that. Uh, as we record this uh, early in the morning on the 19th day of May 2023, the talks continue. The president's overseas for an international meeting, although he's cutting that short to come back and, and try to wrap up this debt ceiling deal. So remind us, Duncan, why this debt ceiling issue is so important to all of us. Yeah, again, this is not something that is for future budgets. This is to pay the bills for budgets that have already come past and uh, already been done. And it, you know, the, the full faith in government, uh, full faith in payment for the government of the United States is something that has to be done. And so the system that's been set up decades and decades ago is to pass the debt ceiling to allow it to grow when we have deficits. And if the debt ceiling is not passed, then there could be a lot of bad ramifications. The main one for federal employees is, is A, we wouldn't be receiving paychecks. B, we don't know if we'd have to come to work without receiving paychecks or we'd just be staying home. There's just a great deal of unknowns aside from the fact that you can watch things like your thrift savings 
uh, plan accounts tank, as well as the stock market, uh, higher interest rates, things of that nature. So it's just something that is very, very bad uh, for federal employees and the world economy as a whole. So it's something we don't want to have, and we hope to get this wrapped up sooner rather than later, because even though uh, we didn't have one back in 2011, it's the last time it got this close, it downgraded, as you said, our last podcast by Moody's of the United States credit rating. And, you know, it's taken a long time to try and build that goodwill back up, even though the credit rating hasn't been raised. So this is not a good thing for anybody at this point. I was uh, watching some uh, television this morning before we record this, and, and there were some foreign policy experts, uh, and their comment was this, that the people who really are enjoying watching this whole debt ceiling debacle, the Chinese, because they feel like they're, we are leaving them an international void where they can move, they can move in. So need to be considering that as well. Yeah, it absolutely has geopolitical uh, impact all over the world because, you know, the, a lot of countries are looking at the United States going, why do you continue to shoot yourselves in the foot with this? There has to be a better system for you guys to do this rather than continue to play this brinkmanship game every time this issue comes up. And, you know, sometimes under the previous administration, never a problem in getting it raised. But when you have differing political factions, it creates this political football with a debt ceiling that should not be a political football. You want to discuss budget issues, how money should be spent, things of that nature? Absolutely. Understand that 100% that there are a lot of differing opinions and that has to be worked out. But to pay the bills that have already been incurred, that shouldn't even be a discussion. One thing that we keep reminding people, and this is something that I think we all need to take into consideration when we hear this, these debates, this particular debate, the debt ceiling is actually an artificial creation of the Congress, which began in World War I when the president at that time was having trouble getting the money he needed to fight World War I. In order to get enough votes to pass the budget, he had to put this debt ceiling in. Okay, you can pass a debt ceiling, but if we have to go over a certain amount, you'll, the Congress will be given the opportunity to say yes or no on raising that debt limit, Congress tomorrow, or actually today when we're speaking, if the Congress wanted to do it, the Congress could eliminate the debt ceiling, period. And there are some constitutional scholars that think that the debt ceiling isn't even constitutional because of the 14th Amendment. I'm not enough of a lawyer to understand that, but there's at least one uh, law professor at Harvard, Lawrence Tribe, who's considered one of the great legal minds of our time who flat out says that Congress uh, doesn't even have the right to have a debt limit, that uh, the American uh, American debt is guaranteed with or without the debt limit being raised. So there's all these discussions going on. But I do think that the idea is let's get a deal so there's an agreement uh, amongst all the parties and nobody has to go to court over the 14th Amendment to see whether the debt limit is constitutional. But we all do need to understand that if the debt limit isn't raised, it will wreck our economy. It could wreck the international economy. And on top of that, you know, we don't know the true impact on federal employees, whether we would simply be sent home, be required to, to work without pay or reduce pay. I mean, it's, it's just not known. It's a, it's a place we don't want to go. Right. And I was not there when they created the debt ceiling, you know, like you said, around World War One, 
or certainly not when it was, you know, the 14th Amendment was passed. Contrary to what my partner Kim or my daughter Maddie might say, I was not around back during those times. Um, but I mean, I can't believe that that would ever have been the intent for those folks who were involved in this to see this kind of issue it's become now, uh, you know, to have this come up. I, I just cannot fathom that anyone would ever have this intent. One other aspect we need to keep an eye on, Duncan, as far as this debt ceiling situation is concerned, there are some people in Congress who are using this debt ceiling drama to reduce the IRS budget annually and to do away with our what's left of our $80 billion in extra funding over the next several years. Uh, so will that be a part of a final deal? We certainly hope not, uh, but it's something we need to keep an eye on, and uh, we will do that. Hopefully by the next time you and I have a podcast, uh, we'll have a uh, this all will be over. And we'll be talking about whatever agreement there is. But if there is some deal at the end, let's hope IRS doesn't get the short end of that deal. Absolutely. And that's something that uh, NTU National is looking at very closely and talking to folks on the Hill of both parties about the ramifications of this. Um, our national president, Tony Reardon, and national VP, uh, Doreen Greenwald, and our legislative folks are all over this because they know that, you know, we're just starting to turn our ship around. We're getting more, you know, uh, you know, better rates on answering taxpayers' phone calls. We're getting more folks out in the field for revenue officers, revenue agents, tax compliance officers, folks build up in TAS to deal with the issues that come up, as well as phone people and folks in the service centers. So we don't want to have a reversal of that and a bloodbath if our uh, budget gets cut or the uh, Inflation Reduction Act funds get pulled. So I think everybody realizes that that would be a very bad idea and not helpful to anyone. So our point is we just know that that has been brought up as an issue by people who want to reduce our budget. So let's just, I'm not saying it will happen, but it is in the mix of those talks. So we will keep a close eye on that. Moving on to another issue. With people being uh, hired now under the Inflation Reduction Act money we do have available at the IRS, uh, we, of course, have more training classes coming up. During the pandemic, there was a move toward online training, and it kind of started even before that. Online training is cheaper, but is it better? I think most, um, how should I put this, most studies, most experts in the area of training and education will tell you in-person training is always the absolute best way to do that. Well, now we have new employees that are being brought into the service. So, Duncan, you and I have talked about this before. What do we know now, to what extent do we know, whether the new employees will be getting this in-person training or will there be efforts by the service to save some money and do this online? Uh, yes, to both questions. Um, we've heard some of the uh, some of the divisions in the IRS are have realized that the online training is not at all conducive for them and are starting to go to more in-person training. They've got the funding now to do this, and they know that in-person is more effective because it's not just the training, but it's the discussion that comes up, the questions that come up, the interactions. Oh, I didn't realize that, but I was going to ask that. And what happens if this? Oh, I'm glad they asked that, so I know this. So it makes for a much better learning environment uh, for the way that we work and the jobs that we have 
for us to do it in person. Now, I know that there are still a lot of positions out there, uh, such as on the phones uh, for accounts management, they're still doing online training, and we're pushing back hard into you nationally and locally, is pushing back as hard as we can to try and start turning that ship away from the iceberg, and let's go back to more in-person training. Well, we don't have the, you know, we don't, we're hiring in such numbers, we don't have the facilities to train them in person. Find it, rent it. I mean, it's it's this isn't rocket science. That's what we've done in the past when we've had large classes. Because if you don't have those in-person classes, you know, it's just not going to be near as effective and you're not serving the American taxpayers near as well. As somebody who's been an instructor a number of times internally, we had plenty of rented space in the past. So, so the idea that we, we as, a, as a service or the service itself does not have the space, well, maybe there isn't government space there, but services rented space all the time for training classes and other purposes. So I find that a bit of a strange excuse. Yeah, there are many of us, uh, like I said, both nationally and locally, who are uh, trying to dismantle that as much as possible. And, and it's also a mindset of trying to get folks out of the uh, pandemic back into more of the normal since the pandemic emergency has been declared over uh, by the president and by health officials. So we need to start going back to that pre-pandemic mindset where we need to get these folks in person. Yes, there is a cost for this, but it's something that is absolutely going to be uh, money well spent down the road. Yeah, you begin to wonder just what is the definition of normalcy in this day and age? Yeah, well, I'm the wrong one to ever ask about anything normal because I'm just, that's not me. But it's it's something that, yeah, it's just trying to and trying to figure that out. And you have the different divisions. Again, we're not one IRS. We're still 12 IRSs or more. And everybody's still operating a little bit differently, making their own decisions. And hopefully as we uh, become one IRS again, which is the goal I know, uh, to start being more cohesive and start acting the same in things like training across all divisions. And Duncan, you and I have been around long enough to remember the days of the district directors. And uh, we would have disagreements amongst the various, like the examination division in the old days, collection, customer service, even uh, criminal investigation, which wasn't part of I, uh, NTU, but it was part of the district. District director would just knock heads and make a decision and move on. You know, make, we would settle these issues. There's really not a good way to settle these disagreements amongst the various 12 or more IRSs. Isn't that part of the problem? Absolutely, yeah. Until you get up to a de uh, deputy commissioner level, uh, there really isn't. I um, have gotten good vibes off of Commissioner Werfel. I think that he realizes that this is an issue. He's very much pro-employee and wanted to do things the right way because he realizes the more that employees are trained well and are engaged and things of that nature, the better off it'll be not just for the service but for the American taxpayer. So I'm hoping that he's going to take steps to try and get this type of thing straightened out to make it better for everyone. You know, moving, I think these are related issues. The one issue about more in-person training is related to this next issue, and we're beginning to see some numbers 
on attrition rates. And when we talk about attrition rates, we're talking about people who are hired for positions at the IRS and fail to stay there very long. We're seeing attrition rates. Uh, I'll let you go through it. The, the percentages are, are astounding, and it's very expensive when you hire people and bring them in, and then they leave not within a few months, and you have to go right back up to the square one and start the hiring process again. So it's expensive, and it makes things more difficult in terms of bringing people on. What do we know now about some of these attrition rates? Yeah, we've recently found out that the attrition rates in many of these positions that we're hiring for are anywhere from uh, 20, more commonly 25%, up to 40%, which is, like you said, an astoundingly high number to uh, to have happen. So, you know, your, your revenue agents, revenue officers are in the 25 to 30% along with TCOs. And then when you get to uh, things like automated collection, and accounts management for calls, like the people who answer the phones, it's closer to 40% as are a lot in submission processing. Uh, so in our service centers, it's it's just astounding to me that they're that high. We're bringing people in, and for whatever reason, you know, and you're always going to have a certain amount of fallout. These jobs are not for everyone. That's understood. That's okay. But to have it at that high a level, there's a problem somewhere that needs to be addressed. The Do I think the lack of in-person training is part of it? I absolutely do. Um, but we've got to get this figured out and quickly to be able to make sure that, um, that we get this rate down to something much more manageable. Other than the training issue you, you just went over, does management have any data or have they dug in behind the numbers to try to understand? I mean, there's going to be an attrition rate. There always will be. This is extremely high. Any idea as to why the service, other than the in-person training, might be having you know, such high attrition rates? We have not seen any data behind that. I think they are digging. I think once the IRS management heard these numbers, it, it surprised them as well. They knew that there was a high attrition. I don't think they realized it was it was quite as high as it is. So I think that they're trying now to get behind these numbers. We've never done really well at things like exit surveys to find out why people leave, which I think is extremely important in uh, somebody that's leaving in their first couple of years. Why are you leaving? Is it someplace that's you know offering you more money or a better work environment or what what is going on? Um, and, you know, that definitely needs to be improved. I am hoping that um, engagement improves uh, some under the commissioner and, you know, some people coming back to that area that will hopefully try and change some of this culture of the IRS so that we can retain more of these folks that are coming in because we need everybody that's coming in. Every good quality person we can get, we need to keep. Well, let's move on to another issue. You and I talked about this some weeks ago. NTEU has now uh, unveiled and, and, and rolled out an, an app, a phone app you can use on your your cell phone uh, where you can get your uh, information. You can, you've got your uh, sign-on information, use online. You can use that for the NTEU phone app as well. 
you know, I've had that for a while, and I must say, what I like most about it is if there's a, a an important issue that's come up, you get a little indicator on your phone that something's important is there. You need to go and look at it. But the NTU app has a number of uh, good uh, functionalities on it you can use as an NTEU member. So um, talk a little bit more about what's on that NTEU app, and if you're not on it, why you should be. Yeah, like you said, the main thing I think is, and uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to our uh, folks behind the scenes, our um, you know, folks like Sheila McCormick in our public relations area who've really pushed for having this type of thing um, and folks in her shop. It's, it's something like, you know, it's something important issue is coming on. You know, they want NTU wants to make sure that you're aware of it. They don't want to spam you. They don't want to send a ton of emails, things of that nature that, but they want to make sure that you have the information that you need to be aware of. So they send that out. If you need to, uh, you know, contact your congressperson, um, or your Senator about a particular issue, you know, that's very easy to do through that NTU app. If you're looking at discounts that might be out there for hotels, uh, for, um, you know, car rental discounts, other discounts that are out there, you can easily access it through the app and have the information there so you can save yourself some money. So it's just a really convenient thing to have um, on your phone along with your other apps to, you know, basically improve your work life and possibly save you some money in the promotions things that we offer. You know, I don't know how many bargaining unit people have a government cell phone, but if it so happens that you are a member of NTEU and you have a government cell phone, piece of advice, do not download the app on your government phone. Do it on your personal phone. I would, yeah, I would not download the app on a government phone. That would, yeah, that would not be fun. You don't want to download games, the NTU app, or a host of other things. Uh, that you might be willing to do on your personal phone that you would not ever want to do on your government phone. I would really not want to look at that list. So we'll just... (laughs) I'm not old enough to look at that (laughs) list. I'll tell you that much. Uh, You are old enough, Doug. Okay. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that uh, you and I decided we wanted to talk about in this podcast is this whole issue of, of communications. You know, when I was a union steward and a union official, I always felt that communication was a big part of my job, and I did it on many different levels. I communicated, of course, with the chapter president at the time. I communicated um, closely with the management officials if I was trying to work out an issue, and, of course, always communicating directly with the employees who asked for my help or whom I was representing in any way. Uh, So I think that every level, communications are important. When I was a manager, I worked very hard. You never get a you never perfect on this, but I did the best I could to communicate with my employees directly and, and in in a way that I I thought was 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 productive and tried to keep that line of communication open at all times so they felt comfortable coming to me if they had and I think, you know, being a good manager, part of it is where your employees feel comfortable coming to you if there's bad news because managers need to know it if there's bad news going on. Um but I think this whole idea of improving communications at every level, are you seeing this as, um, how should I put this, a priority of the service management at this point? I'm not sure. 
I think they do know that they need to improve communication, but I don't realize, I don't think they realize how bad the problem has gotten. And I do ascribe some of this to the pandemic where people were isolated. They weren't seeing their manager that often. Um, but I've seen an awful lot of examples where people are surprised by uh, something their manager has done on their appraisal because they haven't talked, they haven't communicated. On the flip side, you know, there are a lot of things that could be solved if an employee would reach out and actually talk to their manager and communicate with them. But they don't want to do that. It's become more isolated. You're you're just uh, wanting to basically hermetically seal yourself up in your uh, workplace at home rather than talk or go in or communicate with your manager. You know, the thing you said about communicating with different management officials is so very important that there needs to be more open dialogues to solve issues. And, you know, when there is an open dialogue, when there is, when you can't sit down and talk to somebody, you get more grievances, you get more arbitrations, you're not able to solve problems, you're just at loggerheads, which doesn't benefit anybody, especially the employees who are here to serve the taxpayers. So you want to try and do what you can for them. So communication to me at every level and being as transparent as possible. If something's coming down, you know, let the employees know. If, like you said, if the employee's got an issue or they see an issue, they need to let their manager know because the manager can't fix it if they don't know about it. Um, these, so I urge everybody at every level from the commissioner on down to make sure that they're communicating as much as they can, as openly as they can, and be as transparent as they can to try and make interaction better for everyone. Our last regular topic for this podcast has, I need to go back in time a little bit to give some history on this, because I remember when this program rolled out, the, what they called the e-file program at IRS. And, and I got to know uh, the lady who was our first coordinator of that program at what was then the Indiana District, and talked to her a little bit about how the service was trying to, to get this rolling. And this was before people had computers in their homes or cell phones or anything like that. And the program rolled out mainly with a partnership with H&R Block at the time so that Block would you know, communicate. In other words, they would, they would file the return electronically because people didn't have their own computers to do it. And basically, uh, you know, her point to me was we have to deal with Blocks because if it wasn't for Block, we wouldn't have an e-file program, and that's that's really how it got started. Now, Block, of course, is still part of that. Intuit is now a big thing, TurboTax. I actually worked for Intuit for a tax season after I retired. And the reason I'm mentioning all this is there has been a major movement on this whole e-file issue because the tax filing industry, Intuit, Block, and other, other, a number of other companies who are into uh, filing tax returns electronically – have always wanted to have the corner on the market. They never wanted the public to be able to electronically file a return for free directly to the IRS. That was going to obviously hurt their business. They've lobbied very hard to keep it that way. But the Inflation Reduction Act had a provision in there that IRS was to study and do a pilot program where regular taxpayers can directly file electronically with the IRS for free without going through 
Intuit, Lock, or any other number of other companies. So that pilot project is going to happen during when the 2023 returns are filed in 2024. I'm curious, what's what's the buzz you're hearing about this internally? Um, internally, there hasn't been much discussion, which has surprised me. I think that it's a wonderful thing, as like I said, as you and I both know. You know, they used to take returns at our tax, our walk-in offices, um, many many years ago, but they stopped doing that. And I think there's a lot of external pressure from certain companies to not have the IRS do this. Oh, it's a horrible idea. It's going to, you know, make everything messed up. And I don't know how it's going to be messed up, but okay. Um, But it's one of those things where Commissioner Werfel said, you know what? The way we want to pilot this and the way we want it to roll out is if you want the IRS to do your return, you can. They'll do it and we'll do it for free. If you want to pay, if you've got a favorite preparer at a big company or you like the big companies that are online, the H&R Blocks, the Jackson Hewitts, the TurboTaxes, uh, you know, what have you, you can do that. If you have an accountant that you really like and trust, you can do that because there are a lot of people that say, well, if I go through the IRS, I'm not going to get the biggest refund possible or they're not going to take advantage of everything. Okay, that's that's fine. You, we're giving options, and we're trying to help people. The VITA program that we talked about last week is a wonderful program uh, for folks to be able to, at certain income levels, to be able to file those for free. One of the things that we are looking at, and I think we're going to have to work through during this pilot, is the advantage of electronic filing with one place is you can do your federal and your state together. And so you don't really want to have a situation where the IRS does the taxes. You know, we take care of the taxes for the federal. Well, you're still going to have to figure out the state. And you may still have to go through a company for that. So I think there's some issues to be worked, but I think it it's a very good program. Uh, I think we're on the right track in doing this. And uh, I'm hoping in the years to come that it'll be very successful uh, for the taxpayers. And that's who it's ultimately for. And uh, as I understand it, uh, I have also, uh, how should I put this, I've used some of those companies uh, to to file online, and some of them market this saying, well, okay, we uh, will give you, uh, if you buy our software, you can file your federal tax return e-file it for free, and that's true. However, they will charge you to file the state return. That's something they don't always tell you. Although, and another thing is, not every state has an income tax. Uh, my daughter's family lives in South Dakota, and they don't have an income tax there. So they file a federal income tax return, and they don't file a state income tax return. So there's a lot involved there. Okay, Duncan, your final comment for this podcast. My final comment is, you know, again, and you always hear me talk about work-life balance, and life is about experiences to me. And, you know, I urge everyone to do memorable experiences with those they love or friends. You know, my partner, Kim, who's absolutely awesome, is down right now in North Carolina for a couple of days, uh, just having fun meeting with a friend so that they can go through things like the Biltmore. It's a you know very rare experience, but they're experiencing it together. And those are the things that you remember, you know, whether it's a whether it's going to a major league game you know, going to a a football game or whatever it may be, you know, always try and look for those experiences, whether they cost anything or they're free, 
that you can do with those that, you know, you love, be it your family, your your spouse, your friends, whoever it is, to try and remember those. Because those are the things I think that you really treasure, and they also help recharge your battery uh, so you can come in and do the work that you need to do. So that's that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, my, my quick message is this. We're getting into the time of year where people are out on the water and lakes and rivers and that kind of thing. So please um, keep in mind water safety. There's one thing I want people need to remember. If you're driving a boat, you still can't drink, folks. <laughs> there is such a thing as drunken driving on a boat. So let's let's make sure you have a designated driver on the boat as well as your car. And, and, and just remember, as you get back into the water in many parts of the country where the uh, weather is just beginning to warm up, uh, enjoy it, but uh, be safe as you uh, venture out into the water. I love the water myself. So if you do as well, you're out on the beach, wherever you may be, or just having a good time on the water, the lake, make sure you're safe. And we want you to stay safe as we end this Chapter 49 podcast for the 19th day of May 2023. Again, we do appreciate the fact you've taken some time out of your busy day to watch or listen to our podcast. If you have any comments about the podcast or questions or issues you'd like us to talk about, uh, send us an email, nteu49 at aol.com. That's the email address. Feel free to uh, send anything there. And also, if you'd like to just get regular updates uh, as to when these podcasts are available, Duncan can send you links. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.